he came back from this first experience in the North Pole telling me, I want to make an expedition at the North Pole, diving under the North Pole. And I was just like, why should we do that? And Guillain told me, because nobody will do it for us. And why should we do it now? Because it's disappearing. Our natural world inspires and shapes us, so it's more critical than ever that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation, and this is Planet Visionaries, a podcast in partnership with Rolex's Perpetual Planet Initiative and the Washington Post Creative Group. Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative support explorers, innovators, and visionaries who strive to protect our natural world. I'm proud to be bringing you some of their stories from the cutting edge of conservation. On this episode, I get to speak with Guillain Bardou and Emmanuel Perrier Bardou, founders of Under the Pole, an underwater scientific exploration program. Guillain and Emmanuel, it's a pleasure to speak with you guys today. Bonjour, Alex. Bonjour, Alex. Bonjour. So how did you both find your passion for the ocean? I think as far as I remember, I wanted to be a, a diver. I was watching at Cousteau at the TV, you know, on Sunday, but I didn't know how I would reach this dream. And uh, it's only after I was graduate, I went in Brittany on the west coast of France and I started to be a sailing teacher. And it's how it started for me. When I was a teenager and then a student, I spent a lot of time in the mountains. That was a really a beginning of a huge passion, you know, for the outdoor in general. And then came diving when I was 15. And years after years, um, my passion to the underwater world took more and more space in my life. Were you also inspired by Jacques Cousteau? Definitely, both of us. We had the same activity, I would say, during the Sunday afternoon. When we were kids, we were watching Cousteau on TV. And definitely that inspired us a lot. Yeah, I had a huge problem, by the way, because there were absolutely no women diving in the Cousteau team. So I was really wondering how I could get into this. <laughs> And so, so how did you get into it? I started sailing and uh, after five years of working in a small archipelago uh, in front of Concarneau, where we live, I had the opportunity to join a French expedition in the Pacific in Clipperton with a very famous French explorer, Jean-Louis Etienne. And I was in charge of all the nautical logistics and I started diving there. I wanted really uh, to progress and to get into it. And when I came back, I went in a diving school. And I met Guillain, who was my instructor. And uh, that's how it started. <laughs> nice. Were there any other female divers that you saw as mentors or inspirations? Sylvia Earl? Yeah, oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, she was the first interview I did for this podcast uh, several, several years ago. Yeah, she was definitely a great inspiration because she, she was a huge diver and the mother of three kids, which was difficult sometimes to imagine for me when I was younger was how to continue this work, deep diving, making expedition uh, all year, staying on the field while having a family, making this work all together. So having people like Sylvia Earl showing it was possible to be a scientist, to uh, make a committed diving, to uh, have a family. And it was very uh, positive for me as a woman. With their organization, Guillain and Emmanuel combined their passion for deep sea diving and conservation. And so can you guys talk about how you started down this long 
journey. What is Under the Pole? Under the Pole is um, underwater exploration all over the world, including polar region and uh, deep sea zone, up to the surface to uh, 200 meters deep. Our work is together with the scientists to make known uh, this zone, the importance of the mesophytic zone all over the world, and also to make communication and educational program. How, how did you go from a passion for diving and, and knowing how to sail to actually leading expeditions and, and doing Arctic diving? You know, it's like there's a big gap between being interested in the ocean and then committing your life to actually working in the ocean. I was 25, uh, Manuel was 26 when we, we met. And at that time, I was a student. I met uh, this explorer on weekend, and uh, he was looking uh, for an engineer uh, to work on a new project. And I had the opportunity to go to the geographical North Pole, uh, leading an um, underwater expedition, scientific expedition for, for this guy. And I realized that the underwater face of the ice field of the Arctic is a... Uh, Another world, completely amazing world uh, that is pretty unknown and is also disappearing, by the way, very quickly because of global warming. And when I came back to France, we talked with Emmanuel and we decided to start thinking of our own expedition, going back to the Arctic, going back to the geographical North Pole, but to accomplish a very special expedition, really centered on our passion on the underwater exploration of, of um, the Arctic ice fields. And that was the, the beginning of uh, Under the Pole. And this is why we, we called it Under the Pole. This is how it started. So actually, he came back from this first experience in the North Pole, telling me, I want to make an expedition at the North Pole, diving under the North Pole. And I was just like, why should we do that? And Guillain told me, because nobody will do it for us. Nobody will focus an expedition about diving at the North Pole. And why should we do it now? Because it's disappearing, because of global warming. Every year we have less ice. This landscape we have under the North Pole is disappearing. So we have to do it uh, as quick as possible. Why focus on the Arctic? It seems like the hardest place to dive. It seems it seems terrible, honestly. It's so cold. It's so I mean, when you talk about diving under the ice, I mean, that's a lot of people's nightmare, you know, to be trapped under ice. It was both a nightmare and really tough and really terrible because it's cold and it's already really difficult to make a polar expedition. But if you put on the top of that diving, it makes it really, really challenging. So you have to want it very hard. And we, we did because it was so difficult to organize that the first day we have been at the North Pole with all the team, all the gear and everything, we were ultra ready. I remember the first days and the first evening, you know, when we were in our sleeping bags, just before starting to sleep, it was like minus 40 degrees Celsius and I really wondered myself what I did. Where are we? How is this going to finish? I remember a feeling of being a little bit like being in a jail, you know? I have done a big mistake, but I can't go backwards. It's too late. Now we have to face. And that's a feeling that is quite rare uh, in life because most of the time we have the possibility to go backward, to change something. But 
when you are engaged, like a thousand kilometers away from any support, in a moving place, the Arctic sea ice is moving all the time. There's no map. You are alone on a moving frozen ocean. So it's engaging. It's definitely mentally engaging, physically engaging, and logistically and everything. Yeah, it was hard. But at the same time, this is a normal process of such an expedition. You have to face, you have to endure, and little by little, days after days, you get adapted. And then, after a short period of time, one week, two weeks, you feel much more comfortable, you feel adapted, uh, your equipment is adapted, and then you start to run into your real expedition. The sensation that you're describing is somewhat common in climbing as well. That feeling of, what am I doing? What have I gotten myself into? That's pretty common on, on climbing expeditions. When, you know, the first night you're camping somewhere, you're sleeping on a little ledge, and you're like, what have we done? <laughs> this is a disaster, but you can't really go back. And So when, when you describe how difficult it is to do a polar expedition over the ice, is that why you guys are based out of a boat now? <laughs> it's also mostly because we could take more gear. We could also... Uh, make longer expedition because North Pole, it's two years of preparation for 47 days on the ice. So it's quite short. And uh, the boat allowed us to go for long-term expedition with a team, with gear, with scientists. Did 47 days on the ice actually feel short? Because <laughs> that sounds incredibly long if you're pulling sleds and you're diving. And, you know, 47 days on the ice is, is not easy. It's long and short at the same time. But I remember that the last day, I said goodbye to the ice. I, I touched it. I really looked all around me for a few very intense seconds. I, I tried to, to capture the maximum of the energy and the spirit of this ice field where we, we live for 47 days. And I said goodbye. Because if the first days were really hell... The second part of the expedition was fantastic. It was beautiful. We did 52 dives below the ice field to, to try to show its diversity because it, it changed everywhere. If you move from one kilometer to the other, uh, you will have totally different landscape. And this is really different than what people expected or imagined from, from this world of ice. During those 47 days on the ice, There was not two similar days. That's incredible to say, but it is true. Exploring the unexplored is a critical part of Guillain and Emmanuel's plan for ocean conservation. The big question, I guess, is what is under the ice? Like, what do you find on your dives? Under the North Pole, it's very special because uh, you have uh, 4,000, 5,000 meters under you. So what's interesting is the world of ice, like cat cathedral of ice everywhere. And if you look a little bit closer, you will find a lot of life. So fishes like uh, Arctic uh, cod, uh, shrimps inside the ice, sleeping inside the ice, waiting for the water to warm, seals, and uh, also sea angel. And sea angel uh, are the most beautiful thing you can see in the water. It's like It was flying in the water, it's fluorescent, it's very fragile, and it really represents uh, the fragility of the Arctic. So you find a lot of things. 
You know, you can you can see as far as your eye can see under the water. It's really a sensation to be in, in another planet. So after that first expedition to Under the Pole, how did you guys decide to begin a foundation together? And what's the goal of the, the Under the Pole expeditions? When we finished um, this first expedition, which was the only one at that time, when we came back, it was really successful. Our images ran all around the world. We won a lot of prizes for the picture and for the film. And so, uh, in a way, that opened a possibility to go on. As it, as it was uh, a success, okay, why not continuing? But then came the, the question, okay, but how? how to continue, how to construct our professional life, how to, to get enough funding also to run those expeditions. So we decided to continue, but what a challenge. It has been fantastic. And this is how we, we structurized our organization, uh, deciding to work on innovative expeditions throughout the world and mainly for the first years in, in the Arctic regions. But to conduct uh, these uh, explorations really for the discovery. Because after the first expedition, you know, we were thinking, what should we focus on? It was very easy to see that we were good at polar diving. And that's why we decided after this first expedition to put our skill and energy for exploring with scientists the mesophotic zones. Yeah, so what is the mesophotic zone? Yeah, the mesophotic zone, it's just a, a part of the ocean that you, you find everywhere. It's below 30 meters, down to 100, 150, 200 meters. It comes from the Greek mesophotos, so it's a zone of medium light. Scientists think that it, it plays a key role in, in the ecology of the oceans. But at the same time, as it is more difficult to explore, it is not so well known. Since the years 2000, yeah, let's say, uh, some new equipment, some new techniques open some doors. And this is exactly um, that enables us uh, today to, to really focus on, on the expression of that zone. So the interesting thing about the mesophotic zone, though, is that it receives little light. And so there's less vegetation, less plant growth. I mean, is the idea that there are more animals? Yeah, as you said, as you go down, you have less light and so less vegetation, but uh, you have these uh, animals like coral, sponge, gorgonias that form three-dimensional structures uh, that are finally like a forest. And like we have forest on Earth, we have forest underwater. And uh, marine forests are home to many species, and these forests provide hunting ground and protection from predators. Uh, they are a refuge, uh, they are a place for reproduction. And uh, they are essential to the health of the ocean, especially now that the surface ecosystem are seriously threatened by climate change. And you know, the challenge is that most of the people, they don't go under the ocean. And uh, everybody knows the importance of forest on Earth. But people don't see that our marine forests are burning. So that's what we are focusing uh, on with another poll today and for the years to come. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like you said, I guess the challenge of this kind of work is that nobody sees it. Nobody knows to think about marine forests. You know, when I read about a marine forest, I'm like, well, what what is that? Like, how do I visualize it? Because when I think of a forest, I think of giant trees, you know, big, thick trunks and like bushes and 
vines and things, you know, but with a, with an aquatic forest, like what, what is an aquatic forest? You know, it's like, and I suppose that's the point of your expeditions is to, to bring those images back and to help people understand the, the richness of life under the water. Yeah, that's why the, the science is important, but it's also important to have the images, to uh, document everything, to make understand how beautiful, how important it is, how rich it is. Most of the people, when we say that we are deep diving, they imagine a plane of mud in the darkness. You know, they don't imagine a coral reef ecosystem or sponge or black corals, like, like trees, really like trees with a baby fish, with a nursery inside, with sharks coming because it's home to a huge uh, ecosystem and everything is working together. So yes, I think it's really um, the point of what we are doing now is trying to reveal the unrevealed, you know. Yeah, it seems like you guys are really looking for the unknown unknowns. Like you don't even really know what you're looking for. You're just looking for something that's truly new. Yeah, when we started to work on the mesophytic zone with scientists, we we knew we were going to find life and to find new species and everything, but we were not prepared to the amount of life we found and to the result we had. So, for example, in French Polynesia, we discover the deepest reef coral at minus 172 meters, uh, which proves that coral can live much, much deeper than what we thought. And we don't have this problem of coral bleaching, or nearly not, in the depths that we have in the shallow water, which is hope, but which means also there is an urgency to protect this zone which is already not a lot in the plans for conservation because it's unknown. So conservation plan uh, doesn't talk a lot about mesophotic zone. So that's also why it was very important for us, for example, to start this new program in Svalbard, archipelago in Arctic, to prove that uh, there were life and it was very important to protect this part of the ocean. And we made... Like, how many dives did we do, Guilin, before we found the marine animal forest? But it was extremely cold, extremely difficult, but it was a real achievement to find it at the end because we can tell to our, to politic, yes, you have marine animal forest here in Svalbard. So you, if you have it here, you have it in other polar regions. Under the Pole's network of support and partnerships helps them continue their work and educate future generations of explorers. You talk about how difficult it is to to get expeditions like this off the ground, or in this case, into the sea. Um, you know how, how difficult it is to launch an expedition like this. Can you talk about some of the support that you've received for these expeditions over the years and how that's enabled you to explore? We were lucky to have Rolex by our side since the very beginning of Under the Pool in 2008. And they believed in our first expedition at the Geographical North Pole. And it was really decisive because we were very young and it gave us confidence to move on. It has been 15 years now that we are working with Rolex and their Perpetual Planet Initiative. And it has been more than a partnership, but a common story. I would say that we are writing together and they help us to make known to the world our result on the mesophytic zone. So it's not just the support in making the expeditions happen, but then it's also making sure that people see the results of the expeditions and, and learn from your results. 
it is a long-term partnership and that makes a huge difference. And a long-term partnership is definitely a key point to make good science knowledge requirements, to make um, good conservation issues, for example. They are also helping us uh, in the networking. In the future, we will have some other opportunity maybe to work in Patagonia with another scientist working over there. Yeah, I'm talking about Rainy. You know her? Yeah, actually, everyone you mentioned we've interviewed for this podcast. It's fun. It's, uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to talk to all the different partners. And in that way, the Rikes Perpetual Planet Initiative is really a, a huge platform with uh, committed explorers and scientists that work in the same mm, direction and that makes those programs even stronger and more impactful. And another thing with the Rolex is that they have this culture of expedition, which makes it easy really for them to understand us. I remember a meeting where Guilain said, uh, okay, our problem, you know, is the, the time we spend underwater. We'd like to spend more time underwater. So we're going to build an underwater habitat, which name is Capsule. And uh, we're going to make it work in Moria in two years. And most of the people were just like, what? And Rolex said just like, yes, this is really interesting. We're in, you know, it's, because they have this culture, they were the first on the top of the Everest. They were the first in the Mariana Trench. And so you can really have new ideas, new way of making exploration. And it's not something impossible for them. They believe, you know, they believe in it. And so what are your hopes for the future of Under the Pole? I would say... Continuing what we are doing now, all over the world, we are going in the depth of the Arctic and then uh, in the Atlantic and tomorrow in the Caribbean and then back to the Pacific. And, and in a few years, we'll be in Antarctica. We are talking about our environment in a period of history where global warming and biodiversity collapsing is something absolutely dramatic. Yeah, it sounds like you're exploring the places that need to be explored, like in this case, the mesophotic zone, the, the places that are unexplored rather than going to the places that are that are popular, let's say. My hope is that more and more people will know what is mesophotic and what is marine animal forest and will be conscious that we have forests under the water and we must protect them. So this is really important for me. And that's why also we focus a lot about education. I think a lot of people today think that everything has been explored and this is really something I like to say to the kids today is if you want to be a, an explorer, there is so much to do, at least in the ocean. You have, you have for years and years to, to explore in terms of science and of everything. So, What advice would each of you give to the average person about how they can help keep the planet perpetual? It's important to realize that what we are doing as individual has an impact a real impact on the earth. You, you can live very far from the ocean and what you eat, how your house is isolated, everything of this has an impact on the ocean. So I, I would say just read and take information and realize the impact you have on everything. And then also, I think it's important not to wait for laws and for everything. And I think it's very good 
to act. So I would say, if you don't feel good with global warming and everything, just act because it gives hope. I think we are living in a society which is going too fast. I mean, everybody is saying that we are consuming too much, too much energy, uh, too much uh, equipment, too much uh, gears, too much everything. We have to cool down a little bit. Going back in the nature, going back in the forests, um, looking closer, uh, you know, to the life uh, that is everywhere is absolutely essential because we, we forget the, the power and the beauty of this life. Those were deep sea divers Guy Lambardou and Emmanuel Perrier-Bardou. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. Catch me on the next episode when I get to speak with Angelo Bernardino, an explorer who's part of a series of expeditions taking place within the Amazon River Basin. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next generation of environmental innovators at Rolex.org. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment to help others discover the podcast. 